because I realize sometimes I overcomplicate things. I feel like I have to have a whole system of wellness or whatever, but what really feeds me is something as simple as, you know, sitting on the couch with my dog looking up at me like I'm the most amazing person in the whole wide world. <laughs> so, <laughs> or that's what our yeah, that's what our pets are for. They're to they're to show us unconditional love. Exactly. <laughs> I think anyway. Yeah, we and we had a couple of cats, so you know that. And Bab loved the cats, and we loved the cats. That was important. But I can't tell you how many times. I needed to get out for even if it was just a five or ten minute walk mm-hmm. into the beauty of the natural world to take deep breaths, to mm-hmm. just kind of let things go, mm-hmm. uh, could put me in a whole different frame coming back. Hello, and welcome to Upwards. I'm Susie Anderson. In this episode, I'm talking with a wise and warm Marjorie Thompson, an ordained minister of the Presbyterian Church USA and former research fellow at Yale Divinity School. There she studied Christian spirituality with Henry Nouwen, whose books some of you may have read. I personally have felt encouraged by Marjorie's book, Courage for Caregivers, the focus of today's conversation. It wouldn't surprise me in the least if you know a caregiver or are a caregiver. Either way, I hope you will enjoy my conversation with Marjorie Thompson. To contextualize this just a little bit, I, I want to note that there are 53 million caregivers in the United States that are documented. And those are people who are caring for a family member um, with either some sort of medical need or some sort of functional need. And over 20% of those are likely in our audience because 20% of our population is caring for somebody. That's huge. So, um, and not only is it women, it's like up to 40% men. So as you are listening to this today, you are likely to know either somebody who's a caregiver or you're a caregiver yourself. And I think what we have to talk about will really resonate with you. So Marjorie, thank you so much for joining me today. It's a delight to be here with you, Susie. I'm, I'm uh, grateful for your invitation, grateful for a chance to share. So Marjorie, um, I wonder if you could fill us in a little bit about what you have done in ministry over the years and how you have been so involved in caregiving. Hmm. Well, my ministry has really been um, a, a little bit unusual in, in the sense that my primary sense of calling has not been to parish ministry. Uh, I did about four years of parish work at the beginning of my ministry, early on. And then um, <clears throat> my husband and I moved from Connecticut, which was where he was raised and uh, where we met. And uh, we started off, I, I started off in a church there. But um, we moved to Nashville, which is where I have lived oh. ever since. And it gave me an opportunity to begin to develop what I really felt called to, which was retreat work and teaching and writing in the area of spiritual formation. And it really was um, Henry Nouwen, one of my primary mentors, who helped to shape my understanding of spiritual formation. Wow. Um, My husband, John, was Henry's teaching research and editorial assistant for about five years at Yale Divinity School. 
And I came in as a research fellow to kind of sit at Henry's feet for, you know, a year uh, and audit classes with him. And that's how I met John, who then became my husband. So I I entered into this friendship that uh, my husband and Henry had had for uh, close to five years when I arrived. Um, So uh, all that just to say that was the direction of my ministry. And in the last uh, probably 12, 13 years of... Um, my life with John because he he passed away nine years ago. Actually, yesterday oh, was wow. the anniversary, ninth anniversary. Um, th- those last fourteen years or so, we were very much involved in caregiving. First, with my mother and stepdad. Um, my father died when I was quite young, but my mother remarried um, when I was in my mid twenties. And uh, we began, they, they lived in the same town with us in Nashville uh, for, well, from 1990 on. And as my mother's condition began to deteriorate, she had um, long-standing lung conditions and then had a heart attack in the year 2000. So she had two major compromised systems Uh, physically. We began caregiving while my mother and stepdad were still living independently, but we were making trips probably three weekends out of four every month in the last couple of years that they were in that condo because they were having more and more difficulty. My stepdad was dealing with memory issues. I don't think it was Alzheimer's, but he certainly was going through stages of dementia. And then my mother, you know, with two major compromised lung and heart, both had a lot of difficulty with breathing. She was on oxygen. So they needed help. And we finally got them moved to a graduated retirement facility that didn't last very long because my mother could no longer cope with caring for my stepdad. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so we were in the process of building a new house out 30 miles west of Nashville where we could afford to get some land because we couldn't find a home on the market that had a mother-in-law apartment on the main level. And we knew we would be taking in his mother when she finally decided to leave Cyprus. And I'm talking about Cyprus in the Mediterranean, the the island of Cyprus. She had lived there for oh boy, twenty seven years, I think, when she finally decided to leave. And she was she was getting close to ninety when she made that decision. Oh my word, that's a long, that's a late age to be making that choice. A very late age, and we knew that she would end up with us. Her insurance was in the United States. So we we were trying, and we knew that she would end up in a wheelchair because she had very serious balance issues. So we built a house with a mother-in-law apartment all on the main level so that we could give her a place to live with us and give her adequate support and, you know, be able to wheel her in and out of her apartment to to our home easily. Uh, So that's what we were doing. 
Well, and those those are huge choices. I mean, you made a choice that had financial implications, not to mention like reducing your own privacy with another family member moving in and sacrificing your time and energy to be present to them. There's a lot of layers to all of those things you were just talking about. And yes. the fact that you and our husband seem to be on the same page is wonderful, but sometimes that's not the case. True, very true. We were very fortunate, um, and in a sense, the fact that we ended up caring for both of our mothers in our home for a period of almost two years at the beginning meant that each of us was invested in mm -hmm. caregiving for, for both of our mothers. That may have helped, but I, I don't think it would have been an issue if that had not been the case. John was an unusual man and, and very deeply compassionate. And he was deeply committed to caring for his mother to the end of her life, what, whatever that might mean. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think, you know, he, he accepted the fact that I wanted to bring my mother into our home when she could no longer care for my stepdad, and she really needed the assistance herself. Right, right. Uh, she had asked for it. She asked if she could come live with us. And then I accepted that he was committed to, to caring for his mom. Hopefully, without having to resort to nursing home care, we didn't know how long we would be able to continue doing it in our home. Right. It right. was more difficult with her physically toward the end than with my mm -hmm. mother. Mm-hmm. Well, um, what you're touching on is the nuts and bolts of caregiving, which is the physical reality of having to help people get up and down, move a bed to a bathroom, especially people who are declining as they age, right? Yes. Or people who may have serious disabilities. So there's that physical taxing that happens just to us as you know, people who not are not young ourselves, right? We're not exactly 20 years old. And so for me to have to pick somebody up and move them from point A to point B as a, I'm not going to say my age, um, <laughs> is, is probably not as easy for me now. Although I do remember once a neighbor of mine's husband had fallen and I had, and he had fallen out of his wheelchair and she was petite, and she asked me to come and pick him up. And I swear to this day that there was some sort of angelic assistance I had, that I was able to physically heft this man and actually almost heave him across the room, poor thing. But it was fascinating to realize that I was not alone at that moment. And I realize it's an odd story, but I... I wonder if you can share how you felt God's presence with you in caregiving. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Um, before I share my own, let me just say to you, thank you for sharing that, because I think there are times when strength is given to us that is really not our own. And it may come physically, as, as it did for you in that instance. Uh, it may be just the sheer <laughs> emotional strength to keep going mm -hmm. when you are so exhausted you have no idea where the energy is going to come from. Mm -hmm. 
I am thinking now, too, of some of the stories I tell in this book that are not my experience, that really represent situations of caregiving that were much more challenging than what I had to face. And I felt that the challenges I was facing were Mm -hmm. big enough, you know, for Mm -hmm. me at least. But some people are dealing with children or spouses, you know, where the situation goes on for 20 or 30 years. And where do you get the strength to do this, particularly if it involves interrupting your sleep Mm -hmm. and you're not, it's very, very difficult to manage Mm self-care. If, say, a, a medically fragile child is requiring a lot of attention and care, and you cannot afford in-home caregivers for the amount of time that you need to get self-care, and, you know, you don't, that your state doesn't provide that kind of support, as uh, culturally speaking, I would say we, we don't do that good a job yet in terms of supporting home caregivers. No. So I think for myself, there were times when I was really aware that, that my strength to keep going, I'll give you the specific example here with my mother, because it was not quite two years she was with us. But her condition was so fragile, physically, that she required a a lot of attention. You know, uh, and I was still working full time and commuting with my husband into Nashville, which was generally speaking a forty-five minute commute, depending on traffic, (laughs) anywhere from that to an hour. And we had caregivers coming in for my mom, but the minute I got home. Her care was my job, and then on weekends as well. So there was really very little time that that John and I had to ourselves during those years, and very little time that I had to myself. You know, I would really have to take time for my prayer in my office when I was at work because there was no no space for that other than, you know, s- sending prayers up. Right. <laughs> Desperate, prayer. Desperate help <laughs> prayers. <laughs> Lord help. You know, yeah, I know. Those, those are very familiar prayers to me. <laughs> but there were times when I was really conscious of the fact that there was a strength. And when I opened myself to the Spirit with me and supporting me, I knew that I knew the Spirit was with us all. And when I asked God for that kind of help, I could sometimes just feel it, feel mm-hmm. the the sense of being held, mm-hmm. you know, held, supported, given a strength that did not feel like my own. So <clears throat> that's a kind of corollary in terms of <laughs> uh, the the emotional, I think p- part of it is physical, not not necessarily trying to lift someone, but um, very, very conscious of divine presence in the midst. And sometimes it was more like, if, if you'd like, I'll give you another example for, sure. from my, my mother-in-law, whose name was Bab. <laughs> that was mm-hmm. her nickname, Bab, B-A-B. And she, she was more difficult for me to deal with for a whole range of reasons. But she was very childlike in her personality. And I think she was probably 
ADD. I mean, if, if she had mm-hmm. been diagnosed uh, in her in her era, if they could have diagnosed such things, I think she would have been very at- attention deficit. And she was a concrete thinker, which is a childlike quality. So it, it was challenging to really relate to her at her level as an adult, you know, adult to adult, taking into consideration some of her cognitive limitations. So there, this is a situation where I felt that the Holy Spirit gave me a wisdom I didn't know I had. Huh. And it was a situation where I was, by this time, I was working out of my home office. I was no longer commuting in and out. I wasn't working full time, but I still had travel. I had commitments, uh, retreats, teaching mm-hmm. events, and so forth. But I was working in my home office, so I would be, (laughs) I was sort of the one particularly alert after her caregiver left, which was usually around three in the afternoon. Our alarm went off. Oh, no. um, And I had a pretty clear feeling that it was the smoke alarm Mm. going off. And I rushed over to her apartment. (laughs) And sure enough, her apartment was filling with smoke. She was sitting not facing her little kitchenette and look watching TV. And she didn't notice. Completely oblivious. Oh my. To the smoke. And I saw what had happened. She had left a wooden cutting board too close to the flame she had been cooking. She had left one of the burners on. It was a gas stove, which was what she wanted. She was familiar with that. And, you know, this cutting board was smoldering away. So wow. I opened her front door, took took the cutting board out and put it on, you know, oh, the, the driveway <laughs> and came back in, you know, cl- opened things up to clear the smoke. And I went around and I asked Bab, I mean, the, the, the alarm had been going off. It's very loud. I had actually kind of run back to turn the thing off because it's, it, it, she you wouldn't have been able to hear yourself think. Yeah. <laughs> So then I, you know, after after my adrenaline settled down a little bit, I, and I kind of um, felt that I, I had my wits about me, I came around to her side and I said, Bab, are you aware that there is smoke in your apartment here? And she sort of looked around. She said, oh, oh, I thought it looked a little misty in here. <laughs> I said to her, I said, Bab, did you hear the the smoke alarm go off in your apartment here? I mean, it's a little apartment. She couldn't have missed even with her hear, you know, her hearing problems. And she said, Oh, oh, I thought I heard the phone ringing. So this gives you a feel for how little she could interpret. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, accurately what was actually happening. So I had to explain to her what had just happened and do so calmly mm-hmm. and say, Bab, you know, you left a cutting board on the stove. The stove had been left on. Oh, wow. The board caught fire and you were not aware of this. So we have a problem here. This is, this was a, a log home, a lot of wood. <gasps> oh, my word. Oh, geez. I said to her, you know, we live in a log home. 
And if this fire had gotten out of hand or if I hadn't been home for some reason or had stepped mm-hmm. out to, for, for a walk for 20 minutes, this could have really gotten out of hand. Mm-hmm. You could have been overcome with smoke. Mm-hmm. We could have lost the whole house or at least yeah. her apartment. Actually, there was a firewall between her apartment and the rest of the house. But it, I, she took in the impact, the import, the Im- importance of what had happened, the, mm-hmm. <laughs> the seriousness of it. Mm-hmm. And so I was, what, where I felt the spirit um, giving me some wisdom that I didn't really, I, I, did, I hadn't thought of this in advance, let's put it that way, but it came to me in the moment, was talk with her, ask her what she feels she can do to make sure this doesn't happen again. That oh. is, get her involved in the decision making. Don't. Right. You know, don't make it on from on high. You know, I'm mm-hmm. telling you what has to happen from now on. But mm-hmm. let her be invested in the decision mm-hmm. because she seems to understand why this is important. Mm-hmm. And and so she did. She began to tell me what she thought she needed to do and what, you know, she would not cook in front of that stove again unless somebody was with her and could see her yeah. turn it off, you know, and that... That that became the pattern then for a long time until we really kind of had to take the cooking privileges away at some point. But mm-hmm. but it was so helpful that she was fully invested in that and had a say mm-hmm. in the decision. And that I thought about that afterward, and I thought, thank you, God, you know, thank right. you for helping me mm-hmm. uh, recognize that that she was still capable of participating. In, in, at some level in that decision and that that was a, a wise thing. So I so appreciate that story because I do think the people we care for after a while can feel like they aren't co-participants in their care, that they're objects of care. And especially if, for example, my situation isn't nearly as serious in terms of where my husband is at, but I know he wouldn't mind if I share that he has Parkinson's disease and he's no longer able to work, but things that he used to be able to do in our family life are no longer easy for him to do. And as a person who values very much hard work and show, he shows his love, quite honestly, through work, through, you know, being dutiful and fulfilling the responsibilities that he's always carried. And so some of those things now are really hard for him to do. And I have had to take on more of the financials and everything that I have very happily allocated to him all these years. So um, what has become clear to me is that I need to honor the efforts he does make every day simply to take care of himself. Because that's a job now for him. He has to maintain a regimen for medication that is complicated. He has to think about just particulars about how he gets up and down out of a chair and what he his limits are and making sure he doesn't go past his limits. I mean, there's a lot of things in his life now that require him to focus and and adjust and and there's an emotional quite honestly there's an emotional cost to all of that for him because those things are losses as well so it there's an adjustment in the relationship right in in the way you interact with one another 
what you used to convey appreciation for, you may I may have said to him, oh, thank you so much for mowing the lawn or whatever. Now, you know, I need to remind myself to thank him for other things that are his efforts to show love. So I just, I just appreciate the fact that you're bringing forward that you recognize what Bab was doing in that moment to take responsibility, to step into being what she could as an adult and um, appreciating that. And quite honestly, I do think God really helps us with all of that because we get frustrated, we get tired. We don't want to have to be doing these things ourselves. Yes. Well, I'm so glad that you're aware of that, um, Susie, that things, um, the way you express appreciation mm-hmm. and care and what you what we thank one another for mm-hmm. um, changes as mm-hmm. the capabilities change mm-hmm. and the ways we're relating to each other need to shift in you know mm-hmm. uh, in relation to the capabilities mm-hmm. so it's it's sort of um you know with a chronic condition or a deteriorating condition, mm-hmm. and I know that Parkinson's is, mm-hmm. um, it's a moving target. <laughs> you oh, know, it, definitely. It's going to change over time. And mm-hmm. you can, if you learn to kind of practice noticing what you mm-hmm. can thank him for now, mm-hmm. it will put you in good stead as things continue to change. They maybe, you know, the question will be now, what can I thank him for? What is what is the way he is contributing according to his capacity? Right. To his self-care or to our life. Mm-hmm. And it can be more difficult to recognize that over mm-hmm. time. But I think one of the really beautiful insights that Henry Nouwen had that I've really appreciated is that no matter how the relationship changes over time, there is always a quality of mutuality in every relationship. No matter how incapacitated a person may seem to be, mm-hmm. no matter how much of the responsibility seems to belong in our lap, you know, there is still mutuality. Um, and that, I, I think, points to that this very deep truth that I think we sometimes have trouble grasping, that that we are spiritual beings. Right. We are beings made in the divine image and likeness. Mm-hmm. That's a very deep mystery and, and a difficult one to grasp. But I, th- I think it may have been Thierry de Chardin. I'm not sure who said this first. You know, it's not so much that we are human beings having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. And wow. we're, we're spiritual beings because of that image and likeness of God. Mm-hmm. And that never goes away, no matter what a person's capabilities may seem or not seem to be. Mm-hmm. So there is a presence that we have, mm-hmm. even if we are in a coma. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I think about Henry's way of talking about Adam, who he cared for for a whole year right. in the Large Daybreak community. Adam yeah. was the most disabled of all the core members in the community. 
he couldn't talk, he couldn't walk, he couldn't feed himself, he couldn't deal with bathroom needs. I mean, he was completely dependent on care and physical care. Mm-hmm. But what Henry learned with Adam, and he wrote beautifully about this in his book mm-hmm. on Adam, is that Adam had a capacity to be fully present somehow and to, to, to sort of listen with his whole being, you know, um, almost like the blank screen of a therapist, you know, kind of, you know, and Henry realized that that was the expression of the mutuality. Hmm. He began confessing some of the deepest things in his heart to Adam because Adam just was there without judgment, without, I mean, not that he could have said anything, but that was his gift to Henry. That is such a beautiful story, and quite honestly, it makes me want to meet Adam. It makes me want to be around him and and open my ears and my eyes to that person that he is or was. And I was struck as you were talking that in some ways that is what we need to pray for, is for God to open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to his image, his work, his presence in that other person who's changing before us. Yes. And often becoming more difficult to love. I mean, I'm not saying that directly about my husband, but our fallenness is also part of this equation. None of us wants to suffer in front of other people. We don't want to be completely dependent on others for our care. I mean, A lot of us have prided ourselves on our independence and on our self-sufficiency. So to come to a point where you are dependent on other people is really challenging. And I think to humbly receive care and to really accept it is also a strength that the person who receives care can share with us and display to us, maybe it's similar to what Christ did when he went to the cross. It's like, okay, I receive all of these things that are coming at me because of humanity and what our brokenness has brought forth in this world. But in in a sense, the people that we are caring for are experiencing the brokenness of the world that we live in and uh, the limits of our capacities to be strong. So it's a reminder, right? It's a reminder of our human condition. It's a reminder of the fact that Christ understands our human condition and his having walked on this planet and touched people who were in, well, who were considered to be untouchable, like the lepers. But our acts of caregiving, I think, are really revealing of our weakness, whether or not we're the caregiver or the person receiving the care. Yes, thank you. That's beautiful. That's just beautiful. And I think you're, you are expressing some of the wisdom that Henry shares mm-hmm. uh, in much of his writings, because he's the one, I, I don't know any other writer who actually did this. He talks about the difference between care and cure. Mm-hmm. And when he does that, he talks about the real meaning of care 
and points back to the Greek root kara, K-A-R-A, kara, which has to do with mourning, <laughs> lamenting, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that caring is really entering into the brokenness, the vulnerability, the weakness, <laughs> the suffering mm-hmm. of others. Mm-hmm. To care for another person is to, to enter into their suffering in a way. And in that sense, it's very close to the meaning of compassion. And it, Henry also talks about the Latin roots of compassion, cum, cum, or cum with, and uh, passio, passion, uh, suffering. Jesus' mm-hmm. passion is his suffering. And th- so they're, they're deeply connected. Care and compassion are both ways of talking about how we engage those who are experiencing vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And we can do that because we know vulnerability ourselves. Mm-hmm. All of us do. None of us escape suffering. None of us have come into adulthood without having gone through childhood. And when you're a child, you are dependent on others and you are vulnerable Mm -hmm. and you know what it is to be weak and, and, you know, you want to get stronger and you want to be more independent and you don't want to have to, you know, rely on everybody, you know, doing things for you. And we move from that dependence. This is lovely. Henry talks about moving from one dependence to another in our life from you know early childhood to to our late years when we lose lose our independence again yes. but we it may happen at any time of life if we get mm-hmm. chronically ill or have an accident or you know what whatever it may be so jesus knows our vulnerability mm-hmm. he allows himself to be vulnerable mm-hmm. he knows our suffering. He enters into our suffering. And that we understand to be, you know, one of the primary expressions of his love for us is his willingness to enter into suffering with us, enter into weakness, you know, hanging on a cross. What could be more more a posture of vulnerability and complete weakness than that? Right. And yet he's still caring for us. When he says, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. He's caring. And he's caring for his mother and saying, you know, to his beloved disciple, take her in and, you know, to take her as your mother, be her son. And he's still caring, even in his own suffering. And I think we have the capacity often to do that, at least if our mind is still <laughs> with us, um, we can mm-hmm. do that sometimes. Mm-hmm. So to have our own eyes open for the ways in which our care receivers are still expressing care. Their mm-hmm. care and love is is very important and part of that mutuality. Right. To feel their vulnerability. It's, it's beautiful the way you describe, you know, your husband's very natural desire to continue, you know, being able to do what he can do. Mm-hmm. Our culture, our Western culture is very individualistic. Right. It's awful and that way. stresses independence mm-hmm. over interdependence. Mm-hmm. 
But as human beings, we are interdependent in all mm-hmm. kinds of ways. We're never fully independent. Mm-hmm. That's not what human life is meant to be. We're, we're meant to help care for each other. Right. Um, we're meant to support each other in hard times, emotionally, spiritually, physically. And there are many other cultures in which that sense of interdependence is more recognized and more mm-hmm. lifted up. You know, um, in African cultures, for example, you've probably mm-hmm. heard the word Ubuntu, <laughs> sort yeah. of I am I who I am word. because <laughs> I'm, I'm with a whole community. You know, we, mm-hmm. we, we become who we are a- out of relationships. And I think that's a little harder for, for those of us raised in this culture to get, you know. Yeah. And so I, it, that impacts our experience of receiving care, being, we tend to feel embarrassed if we have, if if we're depend, if we feel dependent on someone else, I, I was actually going to ask you about that because I believe, for example, the deacons at our church have recognized that simply, you know, having someone come and sit with Dean for two two hours at a stretch or whatever, and this isn't something they do with a sense of pity or, I mean, they actually, I mean, they enjoy hanging out with him. He's a nice man. You know, he's he's a fun person to hang out with. So, you know, but they recognize that there's that community, that need for community that he has. Now that he's no longer able to work, his experience of community has fallen off because he's not out and about in the world as much. And I do believe those relationships can make all the difference in the world and how well we function, our mental and emotional health, our spiritual health. We could speak hope to one another when we're feeling hopeless, for example. When I'm doing particularly poorly and just balancing different areas of my life, I often will fall into a funk. But I do have people I can email and say, you know what, I'm not doing so well. Will you please pray for me? And just, or people will just pray for me and let me know, which is even better because I haven't mm-hmm. actually asked for it. But just that other awareness, I think, is something that the church could probably prioritize more. I, I agree. I agree. I, and, you know, I think that's really the whole, the, the, the significance of Paul's teaching about the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. We're not meant to be, you know, a little cell over here, you know, mm-hmm. one organ of the body. Mm-hmm. We're, we're meant to be a whole body. And I can't say to the foot, you know, I have no need of you. Mm-hmm. It, we we are interlinked. We need the gifts and the perspectives and the life experience of different people mm-hmm. in order to be a whole body, to bring our different gifts and the fullness of our experience to bear what has God done in my life and what has God done in your life. And oh, isn't that wonderful? And I never even thought about the fact that the Spirit might work in that way. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we need each other's stories. I think it's wonderful that you are doing this work with story. Yeah, I love hearing people's stories. They just energize me. Um, they encourage me. Um, reading your stories, quite frankly, in your book, I I loved reading you Oh, excuse me, reading your statements about what it is we feel as we do our work of caregiving. I mean, you outline all of the um, losses, quite honestly, that caregivers experience. 
and then the worries that we carry. And I'm just going to read a few of them. Caring for others intensively over long term evokes many hard feelings, fear for the safety and well-being of our loved one, anxiety over our adequacy to the task, fear of being judged for not doing well enough, anger toward God, others, and ourselves, shame and guilt, physical and emotional exhaustion, isolation and loneliness, and a whole host of other things. This is such a complete list. And I was reading that, and I was nodding and going, yeah, I felt that. And as um, a lot of people don't know this, but my daughter became extremely ill with a rare disease when she was 13. And mm-hmm. I found myself dealing with a situation. My family found itself dealing with a situation that was completely out of the blue. And so... I ended up spending a lot of time at the children's hospital. And that provided me such an eyeful of what some parents are dealing with and how lonely that process can be, especially if you're a single parent. But what struck me also is that some parents were not only caring for this child who is going through trauma and trying to be attentive to them, but they're also dealing with a parent who is declining. I mean, they're on both ends of the spectrum. And in my case, we found out my husband had Parkinson's while my daughter was in the hospital. And I found myself kind of thinking, okay, God, this is going to get really interesting. <laughs> and <laughs> the truth of the matter is, is that I have felt stretched and like pulled beyond myself on occasion. But then I would have a friend who would step in and take my other daughter to a soccer tryout or my mom would be available to do extra care uh, for my other daughter who was at home while her sister was in the hospital. And, And doctors stepped forward in remarkable ways. And so what it also reminds me of is that there's so many different types of caregiving that people in our world are dealing with. They're dealing with a short-term caregiving, like when your adrenaline is going like full speed ahead and I've got to be in there and advocate and do whatever it takes to make sure that my kid doesn't fall through the cracks. And then there's a long-term slog, you know, and those are different things. And in some ways I almost feel like the long-term slog is harder because you kind of can disappear over time to your community as you have to spend more and more time in this caregiving relationship. But I think it's just helpful to acknowledge that and and name those things as human need. <laughs> so Marjorie, since you took care of, it sounds like three people, including your husband, for such a long period of time, what practices did you find helpful for you spiritually, emotionally, and physically to do self-care as you practice being a caregiver? Yeah, and uh, this is such an important question because we really do have to attend to self-care in the midst of caring for others, or we really can get to the point where we just can't do it or or cannot do it well. It's, it is really challenging, which is why, you know, toward the end of the last chapter of the book, I'm really talking about some sort of doable spiritual mm-hmm. practices. What you just mentioned in as you were speaking earlier there is the importance of being honest about our actual feelings. 
So one of the practices is naming our feelings mm-hmm. honestly before God and, and and sometimes before others, you know, others who would understand this is what I'm dealing with, this is what I'm feeling, and to to allow ourselves to to understand that it's okay to feel all these things, you mm-hmm. know, whether it's it's anger, frustration, exhaustion, resentment. I mean, there are, there are some things we might identify as negative feelings, but it's all part of the mix. It's part of what is real in us as human beings. And, you know, I will often just say to people, remember that the Psalms, the book of the Psalms, which are called the prayer book of the Bible by both Jews and Christians, give us permission to express every conceivable human feeling. It's all in there. You know, you can mm-hmm. find everything in this. It's certainly true. And I think what that teaches us is that God is okay, you know, hearing us express all those feelings. It's okay to express it all. What we don't want to do is, you know, act on our anger in ways that will be destructive or right. harmful to anybody, including ourselves. Mm-hmm. So, but to express it, particularly to express it to God or to express it on a piece of paper, you know, in a journal is actually helpful because it gets it out, Mm -hmm. kind of puts it out in front of us. And it helps us acknowledge these are the feelings. And then we can do something with them. Mm -hmm. You know, if we're trying to pretend that we're not having these feelings, then we're putting our energy into trying to suppress it. And it it doesn't make those things go away. They just sort of come out sideways, you know, in, in harmful ways. So I think... That's one practice is to be honest with ourselves and and with others about what this is like and to know it's just a big mix of feelings and we can feel we can feel loving and kind toward the person we're caring for and really frustrated and angry within a 10 minute span mm-hmm. we can feel all those things and it's just the reality you know we're human beings so to accept that and Offer it to God, uh, because mm-hmm. God knows what to do with it in ways that we sometimes don't. And mm-hmm. uh, that's something we can do. And then I think these little short prayers, you know, I I have practiced breath prayer, something I call breath prayer. There are a couple of versions of that, but mm-hmm. this is just like a really short phrase where, you know, invoking God's presence, so your name for God, and then a very, very short prayer like, God, give me patience, you know, or... Holy Spirit, give me strength. You know, just something very simple and short that you can carry mm-hmm. with you in whatever you're doing. But you're holding that sense of God's presence with you and with the other person, with the person you're caring for. And you're conscious that that you're inviting that help in the moment. So that can be really useful. Another thing that I have found wonderful is blessing one another. Mm. You know, we don't bless each other enough. It, it was one of the kind of key understandings of in, in ancient Hebrew culture that the father would bless, you know, the eldest son usually offer the blessing, and it was sort of a specific thing. But we can bless each other at any time. Just offer one another words of grace mm-hmm. and say what we really, truly appreciate and love about each other. We don't do that enough. We can do it with our children. We can do it with our spouses. We can do it with whoever we're caring for. And it 
that that can be mutual because often when you begin to to bless another your your care receiver they're going to want to bless you in return mm-hmm. and and so you get that mutuality again or that right. gratitude and that sense of love and care mm-hmm. you know that's something again that you do in the moment it doesn't it doesn't require time set apart Mm-hmm. Now, you will need, as a caregiver, we all need time apart where we're not in that room or in, you know engaged directly with the person. We need some some solitary time of our own spirit with God. But I think that we have less of that as caregivers. And so whatever we can bring into the relationship mm-hmm. that is a spiritual practice that helps to nurture us and bring us some energy, Mm-hmm. That's all to the good. <laughs> That's part of our self-care. Right. And I was reminded this past week by a counselor friend about just the power of grounding myself by putting my hand over my heart. Like sometimes I, my mind is just going, 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 and I don't realize it, how, how wearing that is. And if I just put my hand over my heart and then breathe and then remind myself that I am here now in this space, in this time. It is such actually a helpful thing for me. And it's a very simple thing. And the other thing is take a quick walk around the block or a slow walk around the block. Um, (laughs) Pet your cat, pet your dog, drink a glass of water. I mean, all of these simple little ways of interrupting our, our stress and allowing us to enjoy something different and take a breath into that moment, I think has actually really been helpful for me. Because I really, sometimes I overcomplicate things. I feel like I have to have a whole system of wellness or whatever. But what really feeds me is something as simple as sitting on the couch with my dog looking up at me like I'm the most amazing person in the whole wide world. <laughs> so, <laughs> or that's what our yeah. Our pets are for there to there to show us unconditional love. Exactly, <laughs> I think. Anyway, yeah. We and we had a couple of cats, so you know that. And Bab loved the cats, and we loved the cats. That was important. But I can't tell you how many times I needed to get out for even if it was just a five or ten minute walk mm-hmm. into the beauty of the natural world to take deep breaths, to mm-hmm. just kind of let things go. Mm-hmm. Um, could put me in a whole different frame coming back into mm-hmm. the giving. Yeah. No, and I also you. I also wonder if you had a team, like if you had a team of friends or a team of people that in your community that were part of this journey with you. I mean, did you organize a team of support around yourselves? In 2008, so we're now talking several years after my mother died and what Bab died in 2013, so five years before her death, I joined three other women in a small group, and we are still together to this day. Mm-hmm. We began by meeting monthly. We've now gone to meeting really every other week, but um, most of us are retired at this point. Mm-hmm. So, But that was immensely helpful to me, that even, even once a month to get together with three other women of faith, uh, all of them were also ministers, just sharing our lives and struggles and 
where where we were finding help and hope. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, uh, they weren't dealing with sort of intensive caregiving situations the way I was at that point, but they had other issues. One was going through a divorce, and, you know, one was um, a United Methodist bishop and had dealt with all kinds of very painful, painful issues in the church, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, so so there there are always those situations that place us in pain or vulnerability and need of support. So that was hugely helpful to me. Uh, I will say again that my husband was just amazing. You know, he was my primary support in and through all of this. Hmm. And thankfully, you know, he was reasonably well through the time of his mother's death. But it was really literally only a few months later that he himself began to get sick. Okay. I think it took more out of him than he realized. Mm -hmm. But I was so grateful for his support in the midst of all of that with her. Yes, we do need a team. We need Mm -hmm. a community of people, you know, a smaller, more tightly knit group, if possible, Mm -hmm. that we can turn to. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, you know, I definitely affirm that mm-hmm. as a helpful path. Well, I want to refer people to your book, Courage for Caregivers, Sustenance for the Journey in Company with Henry Nowen. And it brings forward, again, a lot of Nowen spiritual wisdom as a Catholic priest and caregiver. It means so much to me that you knew him personally. I I envy you, quite honestly, being able to sit with him and your husband as well. It sounds like a very rich time of spiritual it nourishment. It was a huge privilege. Yeah, great privilege. Thank <laughs> I, you. But what I do love about your book is it's very practical. You you admit the hard work that this involves, and at the same time, you're very encouraging. And I, you reflect on what Henry writes in a really beautiful and down to earth way. And your own words are just as good as his are. I want to affirm also for our audience that it is really important to be concrete about what you need. Do not be afraid about stating, I need help. Do not be afraid to say, I am feeling beyond myself and I need extra spiritual and emotional support. Do not be afraid to ask your church for help. See if there's deacons or somebody on the church staff who can refer you to help if they can't do it themselves. I want to say, be loud. Repeat yourself. We don't like to be troublesome people, but when we admit it to ourselves, we are needy people. And I think one of our big needs in our communities is to learn how to be there for one another. So I am going to say, be loud. And it's a thing I'm saying to myself as much as to everybody else. And then one last thing um, in terms of exhortation or encouragement is remember, remind yourself that God's mercies are new every day. And if you can't see them, ask a friend to pray for you to see them and ask them to point them out if you need them to. All of these things are practical but do require us to sacrifice some of our pride. So I just want to encourage you, even as I'm trying to encourage myself on days when I'm not feeling up to it, to um, 
take that step of faith that being human may not only be a gift to yourself, but being a gift to other people. So mm -hmm. thank you, Marjorie, for joining us today. This has been a great pleasure, Susie. I've enjoyed it thoroughly. Uh, thank you for all that you have shared. Um, it's, it's been a rich conversation. I really appreciate that. It's been a lot. Very meaningful to me, too. Thank you so much. And thank you as well to our audience for listening. If you'd like to dig a little deeper into Marjorie's caregiving experiences, you can check out her book, Courage for Caregiving, at InterVarsity Press. And if you need resources to help you or someone else on their caregiving journey, you can make a start by viewing the list of resources I've included in the show notes. Blessings to you all.